Friends, grace and peace to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I have always loved language. I love words. I love learning new words, big words, interesting words, words that are specific to a specific situation. I just love finding the right word for any given situation. I'm also really fascinated by how the same language, English, for example, can sound so different in different places, right? Different English-speaking countries or even different regions of the same country. Words, language is fascinating to me. I worked at camp about 20 years ago, and I worked at camp with a whole bunch of people from Minnesota, you know, that crazy foreign country. And I discovered that there is a game that I thought I knew how to play, but it was called Duck, Duck, Gray Duck. I didn't know that ducks came in gray, but that's what they call a game I learned as Duck, Duck, Goose, right? Weird. I've now lived in southeast Wisconsin for about nine years, and I reluctantly have capitulated. I now call it a bubbler. I call it a bubbler because if I told my children to go find the drinking fountain, you know what normal people call that thing? They would have no idea what to look for. Y'all call it a bubbler, and so I do too. There is one word that I have learned in southeast Wisconsin, and I did some research on this, and I can say fairly confidently it literally only exists here. And not only does it only exist in southeast Wisconsin, it actually only exists in one building in the entire world. It is at General Mitchell International Airport. International because I assume you can get to Canada from there. And it happens right after you go through the ordeal of security. You know, airport security where you essentially get stripped down to nothing and you walk barefoot through while holding your pants up, hoping they don't fall down and hoping that all of your shampoo bottles are exactly the right size. As you get past that ordeal, there is a sign above some benches where you get to put your life back together again. Anybody know what that sign says? Yes? It is the recombobulation area. This is not a word. It literally is not, it doesn't exist in the English language. And yet, it is the perfect word. Because there are few things more discombobulating than having to strip down naked in front of a whole bunch of strangers just to make sure you can get to your plane on time. And so there in that place where everything gets put back into your bags and you get to put your belt back on and put on your shoes and, and get back to where you were before is called recombobulation. I love the word discombobulated. I learned it when I was a kid, and I think it's just a great, it's big, long, it's fun to spell, and it's this perfect word for just being disorganized, dislocated, right? Ha disoriented, having all of your stuff all over, not knowing how to think straight or, or, or know what's going on in the world, and to have the opposite of that word. It's such a gift. 
And I couldn't help but think of that word, the recombobulation area, this week as I prepared to wrestle with how to talk about the power of language. This week, as we continue fumbling our way through the commandments of God, the laws of God, we come to what Lutherans call the Eighth Commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, as I mentioned in the weekly email this week, I grew up hearing that this commandment is essentially about lying, right? That you're not supposed to lie in general, but more specifically, you're not supposed to lie about your neighbor, right? That's what bearing false witness means. It's, it's lying. And yeah, that's pretty good. But more importantly, what this commandment is about is about the power of our words, how incredibly powerful language is when it is used to either hurt or to heal. I mean, I grew up hearing the same thing you did, that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. And that's just a lie. I would much rather be punched in the face than have my sacred story, my selfhood, the words I use to call myself be twisted and abused by others, to be gossiped about, or to be ashamed by those who share my story without my permission. Words hurt. They cut more deeply than knives. This is perhaps no more evident than in the last 10, 15 years on social media where on Facebook and Twitter and other platforms like that, people who otherwise are really actually decent human beings, you know, pretty capable of being civil with their neighbor, somehow when they get behind a TV screen or, their, or a computer screen or they're sitting on the toilet and using their smartphone, which is weird, but they do it, they somehow feel free to say the most horrible things about each other, to spread lies and to use language that I thought until a few years ago we had kind of decided not to use anymore. But people are cruel. And that language matters. Because we are a people who are created by words. We are a people who can either be torn apart or put back together, discombobulated or recombobulated by the sheer gift and challenge of words. As I've said many, many times, if you doubt that, just talk to any person who their entire life has told the story of being fat and how it literally shapes their bodies in the world. We are made and we are destroyed by words. And so we are commanded, challenged by God, invited to ponder what it is to be cautious about how we speak about ourselves and others. When Martin Luther looks at this commandment, he does what he does with all of the other ones, puts both a negative and a positive spin on things. That not only in the Eighth Commandment are we challenged, are we commanded not to slander and lie about our neighbor, not to speak ill of them, but also, and more importantly, we are called to defend our neighbor 
and to speak about them and to defend their actions and explain their lives in the kindness of ways. To build one another up with the words that we use. Because language is powerful. And so we are called to refrain from tearing one another apart and instead to work to build each other up with our words. Now that's all fine and good. But as with last week when we talked about stealing, there isn't anything specifically or particularly Christian about being nice, right? In fact, most Christians I know aren't all that nice. (laughs) I know a lot of atheists who are a lot nicer than most Christians I know, right? So we don't really have a corner on this market of being cautious in our speech. So what is it then about this commandment that is worth spending a summer Sunday talking about as people of faith? Well, y'all know what's coming by now. All summer long, whenever we have talked about anything at all, what we have really always been talking about is the first commandment. And what, dear people, is the first commandment? I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt. This is who we are. This is the people that God creates by these words that God speaks through Moses on the mountain. We are a people formed by this word of promise of a God who sees and hears the suffering of a people who are being torn apart. And God reaches down into history, into our core lives to bring us out of slavery, to bring us home from Egypt, to give us freedom and life. Who are we? We are free to be called beloved because God knows the power of words. God knows that when the Pharaoh calls us slaves, God responds by calling us free. That when Egypt calls us worthless, God calls us worthy and whole. That when Egypt calls us nothing but cheap, labor, and disposable people, God calls us children of God, beloved and free. We know this is who God is and what God is capable of because we know that it is with words that God spoke all things into being in the first place. All the way back in the first chapter of Genesis, when the world was nothing but discombobulation, when the world was nothing but a formless void, roiling seas, utter chaos and darkness, God spoke order. God spoke freedom. God spoke life into being. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let there be dry land, and there was dry land. God said, let the dry land bring forth multitudes of creatures, make it abundant with life, and it was so. And God said, let us make humans in our own image 
that they might bear on their very faces, inscribed on their skin, God's own divine image. And when God speaks, it is so. Every single neighbor you meet, no matter who they voted for, what language they speak, what country they might come from, they bear on their skin the image of God because God said so. And that's how powerful language is. Language can tear us apart or it can piece us back together again. When I was a pastor in Denver, I had a confirmation student whose name was Ben. Ben was that kid, right? He was awesome. Played in the band. He was had all the right answers. Like, he was just a really great kid, and I loved being his pastor. In the last few years, Ben has discovered and decided that they would like to be called Jamie, and that they prefer to be called they and them, not he or him. And as Jamie lives into this new reality about their lives. It is an incredible thing to witness how powerful language is down to pronouns. At what it does to their very core identity for someone who knows full well that they prefer to be called Jamie to insist on calling them Ben someone who knows full well that they want to be referred to as they to continue to call them him or he. With just those words, it tears at this identity that they are growing into as they emerge into their adult lives. And they will also tell you how powerful it is for anyone to call them by their true name. When pastors, past and present, when parents and relatives who are struggling with what this might mean commit to calling them by the name they have chosen, it brings healing. It creates new life. That's what words do. And I get it. It's complicated to live in a world in which language shifts all the time, and yet the words we use about one another have such power. And we ought to know this deep in our bones, for we tell the story of the word that not only spoke creation into being in the first place, called us out of all the disorientation and discombobulation of the chaos of creation, and made things real and holy and whole in the first place, but this same word saw how horrible we can be to one another, how dissolving we can be with the sheer force of our language, and chose to slip into human skin when the word became flesh to dwell among us so that the Word might know on the Word's own flesh and bones both the weight 
and the woe and the worry of this world and also God's potential and promise to heal. This is who God is. One who speaks recombobulation into being. Now that was going to be the sermon this Sunday. It was going to be really short. I think, yeah, we're good. It's summer. I was going to let you go home early. But then, then I got a phone call last night as I was getting ready for bed. And one of the beloved members of our congregation has four children and a wife was found dead on his living room floor at the age of 49. And as I entered into their home and stayed for several hours, I was struck again by just how disorienting death can be. How death and grief tear at the very fabric of our being. Leave us without any words to say, and yet nothing but words to hurl into the chaos of that devastation. It is so discombobulating. It is so disorienting to not know what tomorrow will bring, what to do about that which is left behind. We are left spinning in the chaos of grief. And it is in those moments when we lean more heavily, more deeply, more faithfully than ever on the promise of the Word that becomes flesh. The Word that is able to speak into the darkness and dissolution of our lives and bring some semblance of order, some glimpse of hope, some slow but sure piecing back together of broken lives. The words we use matter. And yet, so often we do not know how to speak or pray as we ought. And so thanks be to God. Ours is a God who knows how to speak kindness, who knows how to speak grace, who knows how to speak life and hope back into being, to bring back together that which the world has torn apart. It is this holy word that is bathed over our skin in baptism and given in bread and wine at this table. It is at this table where our broken lives are pieced back together. By the word made flesh that sends us into the world to watch our tongues, to know the power of what we speak, and to find it in ourselves to speak into a broken world, nothing but grace. 
And thanks be to God for that. Amen.